David, I just don't have time. My team constantly needs my help, but I need them to do more and solve problems on their own. There's so much to do. Some days I just want to give up. Hey, it's David, and you're listening to Leadership Without Losing Your Soul, your source for practical leadership inspiration, tools, and strategies you can use to achieve transformational results without sacrificing your humanity or your mind in the process. Lynn was a mid-level manager in a mid-sized healthcare company. She'd sought out coaching because the demands of her job were almost unbearable. Between the needs of her team and her supervisor's expectations, she'd been working 60-hour weeks, her health was suffering, and she'd reached the end of her rope. Have you ever felt like Lynn? If you ever feel overwhelmed, you're certainly not alone. If you ever struggle with feeling like you're doing your team's thinking for them and don't have time to do your own work, those are signals that your team needs help to think and problem solve more effectively. Most managers respond to these signals one of two ways. They'll get upset or they'll dive in to help by offering solutions. Unfortunately, neither of those responses gets you where you want to go. You need to have more time for your work and more responsibility from your team. What your goal should be is to free up your time to do the work that only you can do. Now, if you get upset and chastise your team for bothering you when they're having trouble figuring things out, they'll stop bothering you. You might have heard the old management cliche, don't bring me a problem without a solution. Well, that's great advice for you as a leader. As a leader, as a manager, when you're taking a problem to your supervisor, definitely think through some solutions and bring some ideas. But when you tell a team member, don't bring me a problem without a solution, and if they don't know how to come up with solutions, what you really just told them is, don't bring me a problem. Now, none of those problems are getting solved, but your team isn't bothering you either. On the other hand, if you play the hero and you jump in with answers, the immediate problem will get solved and work continues, but next time an issue comes up, your team still can't solve the problem on their own, and worse, you've now taught them that if things get difficult, you'll just figure it out for them. Yeah, you're the hero, but you can say goodbye to your own productivity. If, if you have five people who are all relying on you to solve their problems for them, you're not going to have any time to get the work done that only you can do. The good news is that there is a better way. I call this the nine what's coaching model. These are nine questions, a sequence of nine questions you can ask to help develop your people's critical thinking and problem solving skills. Most of the time, when we need an answer to something, we look it up, we Google it, we search it, and that's good. It's great that we have that resource, but it also hurts our critical thinking. You've got to have critical thinking from your folks. The, the solutions, the answers that they're looking for, they're not going to be able to find via search. They need to be able to take everything that's happening, think critically, figure out where they're trying to go, and come up with some answers. So how do you help them develop that? Well, these nine questions will help you to free up your own time and increase your team's ability to think and problem solve on their own. Question number one. Somebody comes and says, hey, I need help. I'm struggling here. First thing you're going to ask is, what is your goal? You're going to start here. You're going to check for understanding and ensure that the team member has a good grasp on their task and that they're focused on the right goal. Number two, what have you tried? 
This question ensures that you don't spend time covering ground that they've already explored. It also requires your team member to make some effort before requesting help. Number three, what happened when you tried that? You're still in fact gathering mode here. You're asking them to talk about the consequences of the thing, that the solution that they've already tried. Sometimes just talking about it will help them figure out a new solution without having to go any farther. But with those first three questions, what was your goal? What have you tried? And what happened when you tried that? You've gathered facts and now you're ready to help them move on to reflection and some critical thinking. The first question here, question number four in the sequence, what did you learn from this? With this question, you're asking them to reflect on their experience. The act of examining what's happened and what learning they can draw out of it, sometimes, again, that's all it takes to help spark a new approach. And maybe they were caught up in the moment and they didn't really reflect on their own experience and what it had to teach them. Question number five, what else do you need? Here, you're checking to see if there's any additional training or equipment they might need. Sometimes your team member will say something like, you know, if I just knew how to use pivot tables, I could do this. Great. Connect them to the spreadsheet guru for a quick lesson and get them moving. I mean, the truth is anybody who's good at pivot tables loves to teach other people about pivot tables. And usually there's going to be some resource like that for whatever it is, the skill or equipment that they need. Number six, what else can you do? Now it's time to have them generate some new options. When you ask this question, one of two things usually happens. You're going to get one of two answers. First, the team member might say, I don't know. And if they say, I don't know, we're going to come back to that with question number nine. So let's just table, I don't know for a moment and look at the other option. When you ask, what else can you do? Often they'll say, well, you know, I think I could try this. I could try option A. I could try option B. You're going to take those options and move to question seven. What do you think will happen if you try option A? What about option B? You're asking the team member to explore the consequences of their proposed solutions. This does a couple of things for you. It gives you insight into their thinking. How well do they understand the consequences, the situation, the context, the strategic issues? It helps them also to think through what makes their choices viable or desirable. Now in this step, if they're missing some critical information, you can add it in here, again, without telling them what to do. For example, you might say, you know, an additional factor you'll want to know is that customers consider this a vital feature. If that isn't obvious in their thinking as they're exploring the consequences, you would add that information in. Hey, here's something else to think about. You're not telling them what to do, you're adding information. Which leads to question eight, what will you do? This is the critical step that you've been leading up to. As you help them to review all the facts, reflect on what they learned, explore alternatives, and the consequences of each choice, the goal is for your team member to choose their solution. Because when they choose it, they own it. If they choose something that seems to be a clearly inferior option, you can ask them, you know, help me understand why you think that's the best option and, and see what they say. Maybe there's some insight they have that hadn't come out yet, or maybe they've missed something critical and you can again add some information. If they don't understand some of the other issues affecting the decision, then you can add those into the mix, give them some more context.
Now, let's go back to when you ask, hey, what else can you do here? And they say, I don't know. Well, what does I don't know mean? When you get an I don't know, it can really mean a lot of different things. In fact, most often it doesn't mean that the person has zero thoughts about the issue. More often, I don't know translates into I'm uncertain or I don't want to commit before I know where you stand. Sometimes it means I haven't thought about it yet. Sometimes it's, will you please just tell me what to do? Or I'm scared about getting it wrong. And yes, sometimes I don't know actually means they don't know. So your job as a leader is to continue the dialogue, to ease the person through their anxiety and train them to engage. This is where question number nine comes in. The super bonus question, very fancy name I know, but it's a really powerful question for helping you get through I don't know because you don't know what I don't know means. What do they mean when they say I don't know? It could mean any of those things we just covered. So when someone says, I don't know, your super bonus question is, what might you do if you did know? Now that question might sound funny, but it works like magic. The person who was stymied two seconds ago, they'll start to share ideas. They'll brainstorm solutions and move on as if they were never stuck. I know it, it may not sound like it, but it's amazing and it really does work. It's hard to believe until you try it, but I have used this for years and I've coached so many managers in using this tool as well. What might you do if you did know? Somebody says, I don't know. What might you do if you did know? All of a sudden they have answers. This is the type of person who was uncertain. They were risk averse. They didn't want to let you down, wanted to know where you stand or they're you know, analytic and they really want to be right before they propose something. And if they felt like they didn't have all that information yet, they might have been reluctant to share. The super bonus question works because it addresses the source of the person's I don't know. If they were anxious or fearful, it takes the pressure off with tentative language. If you did know, I'm not saying you do, I'm saying if you did know, now your team member doesn't have to be certain or look for your approval and they're free to share whatever they might have been thinking. If they hadn't thought about the issue or they don't, didn't want to think about it, you've lowered the perceived amount of energy that they have to spend. You're not asking for a thesis on the subject, just a conversational, what might you do? Our brains can do amazing work when we remove the emotional blocks. When you do this for your team, you help train their brains to engage, to push through the ordinary blocks that people encounter and increase their performance. Ultimately, they'll be able to have these conversations with themselves and they'll only need to bring the very serious issues to you. Now, you'll know that this is succeeding when a team member comes to you and says, listen, I had a problem and I was going to come and talk it over with you, but then I thought you're just going to ask me all those stinking questions. So I asked myself the questions and I figured it out. Celebrate those moments. You know, as we talked about earlier, you get more of what you encourage and celebrate, less of what you ignore or criticize. So don't ignore this, celebrate it. You've just increased your team's capacity for problem solving. You freed up time to focus on your work and you've helped build a leader, someone who can think critically and problem solve on their own. One opportunity you have here is to ask that person to share these same questions with someone else who is struggling. Now you've almost got to buy one, get one free because they're not in your office and neither is that other person. And both of them are better able to solve problems on their own. 
Now, when you first do this, you might encounter some resistance. I was a manager who loved to solve all my people's problems. I wanted them to know how smart I was, how helpful I was, and I thought I was being supportive, but I wasn't. And so I had trained my team to come to me and get answers. When I realized that that wasn't productive and healthy and tried this technique, some of my team members got frustrated. I remember one person in particular, she said, you're not gonna tell me the answer, are you? I said, no, I care about you too much to do that, to just give you the answer, and I want you to be able to do this on your own. And she was frustrated with me. But two years later, she came back and shared how she was so grateful I had done that because it really helped her develop and her, her career progressed because of her ability to problem solve and think critically. Be prepared that if you have been in the habit of solving people's problems for them, this will often take three to five repetitions before people really get a hold on the fact that they've got to do the thinking. And after three to five, they'll usually start figuring it out on their own. Now, if they don't, you're to the sixth or seventh time and they're still coming back with the same issue, it's time to have an Inspire conversation. You can check out the earlier episode on the Inspire model and how to have those tough conversations, but you'll start with a notice statement, the end step. I notice that you have brought this same issue to me six or seven times, and I'm curious what's happening here. My expectation, what success looks like for your role is that you'll be able to figure these things out on your own. So you've brought this issue up a couple of times. What do you think I'm gonna do? What do you think I'm gonna say? And if they've been paying attention, they'll say something like, you're gonna ask me those questions, aren't you? I said, well, you're right. That's what I would normally do, but we've done this enough that I think it's time for you to ask the questions yourself. What's the first question I would ask you? What's my goal? All right, cool. So what is your goal? What's the second question I would ask you? What have I tried? Cool, so what have you tried? And you can see where this is going. From here on out, ask yourself the questions. I will help, I'll sit with you, I'll, I'll guide you through it. And let's see where you go. Now, one other caveat. A question we often get about this model, about the nine what's coaching model, is what do you do in high time pressure type situations? Let's say you're in a customer service contact center and a rep, one of your team members has a call and they've got somebody on the line and they need answers now, but the rep isn't sure where to find them. They're struggling. Well, you don't want to take the time to go through a whole coaching conversation while that customer is on the phone. You want to get them the answer and move on. Then when you have time, when that rep can take a moment, get a five minute coaching conversation, you can ask them about the, the process and where they would normally find the information and how they can figure that out on their own. So even if you can't have that conversation right in the moment, if it's a high time pressure situation, you can still have the coaching conversation to help them figure out how to think critically, where to find the answer or problem solve on their own. And now it's time to answer questions. I love to answer your questions about anything leadership or management related. Or if you have a question about a previous episode, love to hear that too. There's two ways you can send your question in. The first is you can go to leadershipwithoutlosingyoursoul.com. You'll see an orange button where you can click that. You can record your question, leave us your name, where you're from, and your question, and we can use that on a future episode. Or you can email it. David.die, D-Y-E, 
at letsgrowleaders.com. Today's question comes from Jeff in Liverpool. And Jeff is writing in response to the previous episode we did, the Leadership Excellence Profile with Jamie Marsden. David, thank you for the interview with Jamie. I love what he's doing and it is inspiring. But what do you do when you want to have a people-centered, supportive culture, but your organization doesn't support it? In Jamie's case, it sounds like he's got a lot of backing and has got half of the managers in the organization that are a part of his community of practice, but my organization just isn't interested. What do I do? Jeff, I really appreciate this question because it is so common and it applies to so many different aspects of leadership and management. Here's the bottom line. There are two solutions when you are in a situation where the organization as a whole isn't interested in doing things in a productive, healthy way, but you are. The first answer and where I recommend you start is to build what we call a cultural oasis. If you imagine a desert, it's hot, it's dry, it's barren, but when you get to that oasis, there's water. It's peaceful. Even in the middle of a desert, there's this peaceful, abundant oasis where people live. You can build the same thing with your team. I often remind managers, no one forces you to treat your people in a particular way. That's always a choice you get to make. So even if the rest of the organization is filled with users or pleasers or gamers, you can choose to be a healthy leader to your people and you create that cultural oasis. Now, from there, different things can happen. Sometimes your leadership there can slowly evolve and transform the entire organization. I've seen that happen. I've been a part of teams where that happened, but I've also seen it go the other way where the leader works hard, creates that oasis, sometimes on a very large scale, maybe 2,000 people in a very large company, but the company is not interested in leading that way. And over time, as that happens, you have a choice to make. The choice is, do you continue to lead and provide that oasis for your team, knowing that your leadership style probably isn't going to be recognized or revered or rewarded in the organization as a whole, unless you're achieving some, some massive results. And even if you are, sometimes that can be resented because people are threatened by it, even if deep down they know what they're doing isn't healthy, but they don't know how to do anything differently. And in those situations, when you've got to make a choice, that's your choice. You can stay and you can continue to lead, or you can look for an organization that has a culture that's more aligned for your leadership values. That's the short answer, Jeff, and I appreciate the question. It doesn't just apply to the type of scenario you're in. There are so many different aspects of leadership and no organization is perfect, right? We're all people and your organizations are filled with people. So you've got dynamics like that all the time. But when we're talking about a caustic environment that's not healthy, you can still provide a healthy environment for your people. I look forward to hearing your questions and using them on a future episode. In the meantime, remember, you have got to free up as much of your time to do the work that only you can do. What can you be delegating? How can you develop people's critical thinking and problem-solving skills so that you can be as effective a leader as possible? Until next time, be the leader you'd want your boss to be. 
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>